One of those things going on. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in the Word right now. So I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 17, if you would. We're going to read the first several verses there. And uh, so the thing that we're about to do is we're about to start in a new study. So God's calling us to focus in here on uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, Now, maybe you're like, what's a Thessalonian? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a place and it's a group of people in a church where, well, let's just go there, okay? That's why we're turning to Acts chapter 17 to start this instead of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll get there, Lord willing, next week. But before, I want to give some background. I want to find out where did this church come from? Where are they? What's going on with these people? Uh, So we're going to read the story of where Paul actually first went there and founded the church in a town that we call, I call it, I may not pronounce it right, but Thessalonica. I think that's the right way to do it. You can pronounce it wrong if you want, but we'll just, we'll just go with that for now, okay? Uh, and so the church was founded there. So I want to get a little background. I want us to get that story today. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to keep building on this. Because when Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the letter to the Thessalonians, God intended for it to be for all of us. It was put into the, the book of scriptures, okay? Uh, so I want to know a little bit about that because you understand that every verse in the Bible, we, we actually later on divided it up into chapters and verses. But when you read something, you've got to understand that every verse is part of a chapter, which is part of a book, which is part of either New Testament or Old Testament, which is part of the whole Bible. So everything that we're going to properly understand it, we've got to understand the context we got to understand what's going on around. And it speaks in complete harmony as the Bible speaks in complete harmony from beginning to end as it progressively reveals to us God's story from Genesis to Revelation. So we want to get that kind of understanding. And then one of the best ways to do that is start in the beginning with this whole thing with the Thessalonians, and that is Acts 17. Are we ready? All right, so get your scriptures out. If you're using your app, just uh, turn off the pop-up so you're not distracted. Uh, yeah, you don't need to see what Sally Sue's having for breakfast today. You don't need to look a picture of it. It's not as important as this, okay? Don't be, don't be distracted. But keep this out because we're going to keep looking at it, right? We're going to get in the Word. We want to bring out what is being told and taught here. This is a historical narrative that's going to tell about this church being founded, but there's a lot we can learn from the example here. You ready? So in verse 1, Acts 17, Paul is on that missionary journey. They've just come out of Philippi. Remember what happened in Philippi? We're still setting it up, aren't we? We've got to get it set up. Yeah, so as they were preaching and ministering, they delivered this young lady from a demonic oppression, and there were people actually making money off of her, and they got mad. They created a stir. Long story short, you remember how Paul and Silas got beaten. They were tied up and beaten with whips, which lacerated their flesh, And uh, so I think it's a lot more gruesome than probably what you and I are even thinking right now. They were thrown in prison for causing trouble. They were locked up. Well, at midnight, instead of being in there whining and complaining like we would do, like, Lord, you know, I try to serve you and this is what happens, you know, I'm just trying to do what's right. And uh, instead of doing that, what were they doing? They 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 were singing praises to God, weren't they? They were praising God. They were singing hymns. And, and, uh, and at midnight, something happened. You remember? The whole place started shaking. It was the original jailhouse rock, okay? Yeah, the whole place was rocking and shaking. And their chains came off. 
And the jailer thought, well, everybody's escaped and was going to kill himself. Paul's like, hey, no, we're all here. We're all here. So he went out and talked to him, shared Christ with him. The Philippian jailer ends up getting saved. And then he goes to his house. He washes his stripes. That's like lashes that have been cut in their backs because of those whips. He helps take care of them. The whole family, this guy brings him to talk to his whole family. The whole family gets saved, and they're all baptized. Well, then they get kicked out of Philippi, so, so that's what they're coming out of. All right, now we're ready for verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Pay attention to this part. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ or the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, listen to this, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Uh, Let's go ahead to verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue and they started doing the same thing. They're going to start sharing Christ. All right, we'll pick up with that in just a moment. But I really like what they said there. They said these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So we're going to talk about turning the upside down right side up. Okay, Uh, and we'll explain that again here in just a minute. So as we said, before we jump into this letter of this study to the Thessalonians, that God not only wrote to them right then, several thousand years ago, in the place where they were, it also applies to us today as well. Because the Holy Spirit caused it to be inspired, written down, preserved for us today. So it's for them and it's also for us. As we get into that, we're looking at this background, and, but it's neat to know as we get ready to go into Thessalonians that even though you and I weren't around back then and the world's changed a whole lot, right? A whole lot. Our culture is totally different probably than what theirs was. It's good to know that God addressed some folks who in their time dealt with some of the same core issues that you and I deal with today. It's a little different than than now, but it's the same stuff. You're going to get this? You're going to say, well, man, I don't know, it sounds boring to me. No, you're boring. It's not boring, right? You need to just realize that uh, they dealt with so many of the things. They didn't have some of the influence, like, I mean, you know, all of this stuff was available, but it wasn't available in their pocket, like what we have today with being connected in social media and internet and all of that. So, you know what? The devil is turning it up. I mean, things are at high volume right now. Things are moving fast. Why? Because we're in the last days. Uh, so he has more access. I mean, you could probably get away from some things 
uh, in times past, but now it's hard to get away from much because it's right there with us. So we've got to have a game plan. We've got to be ready. We've got to be strong. We've got to have a strategy because I'll guarantee you Satan has a strategy for getting us off track or just getting us distracted. Hmm? Some of you are distracted right now. I can tell. No, I can't tell. But you might be. Paul's going to give us some real talk about being faithful to Christ in a crazy world. So here's kind of a theme of Thessalonians. Just sum it up this way. Being faithful to Christ in a crazy world. How many would agree that our world is crazy? It is crazy. Philip, there are more crazy people in the world today than there's ever been. I, I, you know, and that's really, and there's weird people as well. I mean, you know, it makes it really tough for us normal folks, right? Not everybody's normal like us, but it's, it's just a, a bunch of crazy stuff going on. And here's the thing about today is that if there's something crazy or weird or bad that goes on anywhere on the planet, you and I, we hear about it. I mean, used to, they didn't, they only knew what was going on in their communities, but because of satellite, television, and internet, and all of that, uh, we not only hear about it, we get to see video clips of it. I don't know that God made my mind to process all the weird and stupid and crazy and terrible stuff that goes on everywhere all the time, okay? It's overload. We're totally overloaded today, so we do have that. But many of these people that Paul's visiting right here and that become part of that church that he's going to write to, they, they were, they were you, know, you understand, they're, they're just coming to Christ right here where I read about. And there's going to be a lot of brand new Christians living in an environment where it's very hostile to them. Some of them are Jews. Some of them are Gentiles. They usually don't kind of like mix around together, but now they're going to through Christ. He breaks down the dividing wall. He breaks down the barriers. Uh, in this, he's going to address of uh, these new Christians, how they should handle certain things. See if this sounds familiar. He's going to have questions about career, dealing with your career, dealing with your work ethic, mm. about dealing with issues relating to sex. <laughs> yeah, back then, it was, it was some raunchy stuff going on back then. And he had to deal with it. Same thing today, all right? God wants to help us deal with it. Um, doing God's will for your life. Um, living in the end times. How about that one? He's going to deal with that a lot. Uh, so you notice the way the chapters are broken down. If you look in 1 Thessalonians, every, the way the chapters are broken down, every chapter ends with some type of reference to Christ's return. So we're going to be dealing with that as well. So he reminds us in this, in this book that we're going to study that God's will is our sanctification. That is, our being set apart for him, made holy. The Holy Spirit goes to work in us when we receive Christ's gift of salvation to begin to radically change us and change the way we think, the way we act, and the way we react. And he changes in ways that will dramatically impact uh, our lives and impact the world around us. It's going to impact our culture. He encourages us to live in such a way that's going to force the people around us who don't believe, because of, but because of the way that we live, it's going to force people to take our God seriously and our faith seriously because there's something different going on here. And they can't explain it. They can't really understand it. I mean, they might say, I don't know if I believe the Bible. I don't know about all these churches. I don't know about all this stuff. But they know you, and they know something's happening in your life. 
See, that's the point of contact. That's why it's going to give credibility to it is you. Yeah, they know that you still struggle. They know you're not perfect. You don't have to remind them. I don't even have to stand up here and say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. I don't even have to say that because if you're around me, you're going to know it. But, but hopefully if you're around me a long time, you see some things happening, right? You see me hopefully growing in Christ's likeness, not just in the outward actions, but in the inward attitudes and thoughts and things like that. So they see that happening in your life. They don't know about the Bible. They don't know about the scriptures. They don't know about these churches, but they know you. And as they begin to see things happen in your life, it begins to get real. And then they want to try to pull you back down, don't they? They want to get you off track because they will. You know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking? Sometimes it's like they feel guilty and they want to drag you down. But you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that they really hope that you don't fall. I mean, they may be persecuting you. They may be making fun of you, whatever. But I think deep down inside, they hope you're for real because they're doubting it. And they want something that's real as well. And they want to see it in you. And when they see it in you, they're going to have confidence something is real here. I might need to check it out. And what is it? And you're going to tell them, well, it's Jesus. How do you learn about him? Well, it's in this book. Well, I've never thought much of this book before. But now, you who have credibility now because of what they're seeing happen in your life... You're giving credibility to this, so they're going to be drawn to this. And you're connecting with this church. And so they're going to be kind of like, well, maybe I should check that out as well. And the next thing you know, you are going to be instrumental in helping someone connect with God Almighty, who has already gone to a lot of trouble to pay for their salvation on the cross and already is offering them this gift to that they come to the point that they understand it enough to believe it enough to receive Christ by faith. This is what God wants to happen. So Paul makes it clear when he writes to him that he's not promoting himself. He's not promoting anything but kingdom work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them assurance as you read through this book of 1 Thessalonians that it may seem like the world's coming apart. It really seems like that now, doesn't it? We're not headed to destruction. We're headed to everlasting hope, everlasting life, a kingdom that never fades. Our hope is in Christ and his resurrection, and he overcame the world, sin and death, and so will we if we're following him. That's what we're going to be learning. Paul sets a great example for us here. This is one we really need. I need it constantly. I need to constantly be in the scripture. It's just like I constantly need to eat food to, to stay alive, right? I need to be in the spiritual food to stay healthy spiritually. Um, it's possible to live in this world but not really be fully alive. You know what I mean? You're, you're moving and breathing, but you're really not living. A whole lot of people on earth are doing this right now. They're just kind of existing. Paul was fully alive. He was enthusiastic, about sharing the gospel and about living life. Even though he had these people that were dogging his steps, there were people who were beating on him and throwing him in prison, he was excited. And you're like, well, my life is just so messed. Listen, we've got to focus on the wrong thing. And, and we need to take our eyes off the waves and put them on the Jesus who saves us, right? And, and life takes on a whole other dimension. Not that there's not going to be tough times, but he has a plan. He wants to fill us with himself. That word enthusiasm, by the way, let's just take a look at it. Because it's a word that's powerful. It means a deep, burning desire for life that doesn't go away. That word in 
enthusiasm comes from the Greek, and it means, well, in and theos. In, you kind of know what in and theos is the Greek word for God. So when they describe, begin to use this word, they would try to say, this is somebody that's not acting normal. God must be in them. They're possessed by God. Enthusiastic. That's why it's God in your life. So if God is in your life, this God that spoke everything into existence, this God that died on the cross for our sins, rose again to give us new life, if he is in our life, it ought to do something. You, you, you ought not to be able to hide it. There ought to be some enthusiasm. Uh, God moving in you. God wants you to live that way too. So Paul and his team, which at this point in Acts 17 included Luke, Dr. Luke, who pinned down this story, and Silas and Timothy. They had been in Philippi, as I said. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison where God sent that earthquake uh, during their midnight worship Resulting in not only their chains falling off, but the jailer and his family getting saved and baptized. Now, after all of that, they, uh, they left. And so, let's, let's, let's go to the map. We've, we've got maps. So, here's a map. And by the way, we have online notes. If you're on Facebook, Hartville Free Baptist Church, uh, or on our uh, whatever, we've got links to this on our Facebook page. Um, you can have study notes you can add to and save. So, these are on there if you're using the Uversion app. Uh, but I just want to kind of get this. So, so Jerusalem's way back down here. So uh, Philippi's right there. And uh, right there is Thessalonica. Right, X marks the spot. You see it? You people that are looking over here, right there is Thessalonica. And then later they're going to go to Berea. Then they're going to come on down to Athens and then Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, then Timothy and uh, some of them are going to come back on a report in. He's going to send one of the earliest letters that he sends is First Thessalonians. By the way, this right here now is in the northern part of what is Greece today. Uh, so this is where they are, and the road there was rocky at first. Paul and Silas are probably still sore. Think about it. Wouldn't you think? They just got beaten with whips. They're probably still sore. And uh, they're following uh, the road there, the main highway through Macedonia, and they, along with Timothy, arrive in Thessalonica ready for action. Now, keep in mind, Thessalonica, what about that city? What, who was it? What was it? Thessalonica was unique because it was in the Roman Empire, but it's what was called a free city, uh, which meant that Roman rule was indirect, that they had their own rulers, and they were called politarchs. And that's the exact word that's translated authorities here in this passage, the politarchs. They were like the political leaders that were the governors, and they were given full sway of leadership as long as things went okay. But if things didn't go okay, then you're going to lose your status, and Rome's going to come in, and they had kind of a, a rough way of enforcing things. So you can see how that the leaders were super political. They wanted to scratch people where they itch. They want to keep no trouble. Don't attract the attention of Rome. So when this uproar begins to happen, that's why it was a really serious situation. Many times, if they thought somebody was causing an uproar or problems, they just killed them so they wouldn't have problems. Thought about killing them, and they sometimes did. So that's what makes Paul and Silas and Timothy being able to escape there kind of miraculous here in this story. We could miss that if you're not careful. But they were always playing political games. But So Paul goes there, and as he comes into Thessalonica, as his habit was... It tells us this was his custom. He found a synagogue of the Jews. Now, why would he do that? 
because they were scattered everywhere. And even in these Gentile areas, there were people who were Jewish that lived there. And they would gather in these synagogues on the Sabbath. And they would meet and they, they would study the law and things like that. So why would that be the first place that Paul would go? Well, Paul also was Jewish. He knew every bit of the Old Testament pretty much. And so he would go there because these people, being Jews, they already had the Old Testament scriptures. They already, so a lot of the Gentiles there were worshiping idols. They were worshiping all kinds of weird stuff. But the Jewish people, they knew about the real God, and they had the scriptures, and they were also expecting the Messiah, the Christ, to come. They believed that. So he already had a foundation there of where to start, and that's what he did. And did you notice it says he reasoned with them for three Sabbaths? He didn't force a message on them. He didn't go in there pointing his finger and tell them they're all going to hell. He went in there and he reasoned with them. How did he do it? From the scriptures. They had that in common. That's something which, by the way, the Old Testament was all the scriptures that existed at that time. So he takes the Old Testament. They already knew that. And he reasoned with them. He was patient. He was showing respect for the people. He was allowing them to hear it and then choose for themselves. Did you know that people who don't know Christ are to be treated with dignity and respect and care? And not hateful in a hateful manner? Notice Paul's three-pronged approach as we look at this. I want you to look at it. His method and his message. I think we can learn something here. First of all, it says he reasoned with them. Now that word translated reason there in the Greek, that from the original words that Luke wrote, uh, means to select, to distinguish, and then to revolve in the mind, to discourse about something, to discuss something. That's what that means. And so that's what he did. He carefully dipped into the only scriptures available at that time, the Old Testament. And he, he, I could see him as he started in the story in Genesis, perhaps. And he talked about Adam and Eve and God's ownership of all things. And, it was, and it, was, it was displayed in that one tree that God said, you know, I made all of this. It's mine. And so if I've got this one tree that you keep your hands off of, he has the right to say that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that they disobeyed him and tried to become like God themselves, that they would die. Well, they disobeyed and they sinned and death brought separation, right? That's what happened that day. They spiritually died. They were separated from God. And right there in the garden, God said that the seed of the woman, which makes no sense because the male has the seed, not the female, unless you're talking about a virgin birth. Right there in Genesis 3, prophesied that... The seed of the woman is going to come, and, and even though the serpent may bruise his heel, he's going to crush his head. There was a prophecy of Christ. And then he calls Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I'm going to take you, and you're way past having kids, but you and Sarah are going to have a kid, and through these people are going to come one. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. God's heart was always about the nations and people. He wants his glory to be known to the nations. And, and then as he goes through the law of God laying some of this out and showing his holiness, but also making a way for sins to be covered temporarily by wages of sin is death, by the blood of lambs and bulls and different things like that, all pointing to Christ, all the feast pointing to Christ. And then uh, he gets to tell them how it was fulfilled in Jesus. So I could see him going through this whole thing. So here's what he did. Do you see what he did? Watch this. We've got to learn something. He started where they were with stuff they knew. You can't know what you don't know. 
until you know it. That's deep, isn't it? You can't know what you don't know until you know it. you got to start with what they know. I think a lot of times we start where we are and what we know, and they haven't got a clue what we're even talking about. No wonder lost people misunderstand. But he started there with what they knew and where they were, and he built a bridge to Jesus and helped them get across it. How would you do if you only, like Paul, only had the Old Testament scrolls and uh, had to lead someone to Christ? Well, Paul did quite well. You could do it. So uh, Paul went over this in a fair and respectful way. He didn't just preach at them. Kind of like that. He didn't just do that. He also explained. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining, verse 3 says. Now that word literally means to open completely. It means to open up something completely. It means to make something clear and plain. This is a very high priority. We need to make things clear and plain for people. Uh, as a young guy, I learned a lot from Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll. Um, and uh, his priorities in preaching. I wrote them down, and I've still got them, and I've still got them right here in front of me. In preaching, the priority in teaching ought to be this, accuracy, clarity, and practicality. That is, be accurate and stick to the truth, be clear about it, and then apply it to your life, because if you just know it and don't apply it, it doesn't do you any good. And I remember he would always say, it ought to be a sin to bore people with the truth of God, the living message of Christ. That's why I say this isn't boring. You may be boring, but this isn't if you pay attention to it. And we shouldn't use words and cliches that they don't understand what we're talking about. We kind of have our own language. And even when you use sometimes words like forgiveness and repentance, they're thinking it means maybe something different than what this book teaches. They need to know not what the word is, but what it means and what it's all about, what it indicates. Paul came into this group of Jews that he never knew and in three weeks' time had them understanding the plan of salvation because he explained it to them. And thirdly, he proved or he gave evidence. He gave evidence. He demonstrated. Now, the word translated there literally means to place something beside something along something else. It's like using illustrations. You have to learn new truth by relating it to stuff you already know. And you build on that. That's what he did. And he used things. He used illustrations. Spurgeon said an illustration is like opening windows to let light in. That's what happened. He, 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 he demonstrated. He proved so that they could see. Well, was this easy? No, it wasn't easy. It was hard work. Sounds like, well, it just sounds easy. Like He did that and some of them believed. No, it was tough work. I want to remind you. I'm just going to throw one verse from... 1 Thessalonians up there, and that's in chapter 2, verse 2. We'll get to this someday. He said, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, remember? He's reminding them of that. As you know, we had boldness. So even though they had been treated so bad, they still had boldness when they came to Thessalonica. So we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel. That's the good news of God in the midst of much conflict. It was in the midst of much conflict. He also tells us at the end of chapter 1 that many of them, the Gentiles, had turned from idols to the true and living God. So many of the Jews came to embrace Christ as the Messiah that had been promised. Many of the Greeks, or that's the Gentiles, and other people, they turned from worshiping idols and began to trust Christ. So an amazing thing happened there. The Greek word in much conflict is the Greek word we get our English word agony from. Agonizing. 
And so are you willing, no pain, no gain, are you willing to agonize over the gospel? Is it worth it to help other people get it and understand it? People need to get it. They need to understand it. So look at the response then, the response. It says, um, then uh, he was explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer, rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, because there were other people named Yeshua, Jesus. It was a common name uh, in that day. But this Jesus, this one means Savior. He is the one who is the actual Christ or Messiah. He's the one. And some of them, verse 4, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So some were persuaded. But notice, it doesn't say that Paul persuaded them. It just says they were persuaded. God persuaded them. It's not up to you and I to argue anybody into the kingdom of God. We don't persuade them. And anything you can talk someone into... If it's just you talking them into it, someone else can talk them out of it. This has to be something that happens in their own heart as God convinces them, as they open themselves up to the Lord, and they are persuaded by God. God did the work. Too often we want to corner people with our spiritual spear and just like with a grimace on our face. We come at them. No wonder they're turned off. Or we may minister in an attitude which will never win anyone. I'm convinced that often it's not the gospel that turns people off. It's not the gospel that offends people. It's you and I. It's us. If the cross is the offense, then that's a different matter. But a lot of times they're not offended at that. They're offended at us. It's our job to minister the gospel. It's God's job to thrust that spear of conviction in. So a lot of times we equate pressuring people with sharing. Not the same thing. There's a right way to do this. And you see it illustrated with Paul here. You know, I wish when presented accurately and clearly, though, I wish everyone would get it. I wish everyone would believe it. But that's not true. Not all will accept it, y'all. Not all will. Thessalonica was a city that was steeped in idolatry. And he mentions in... Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, that many of them turned from idols to serve the true and living God. But did you notice, Paul doesn't even mention idols in any of these verses. Did you notice that? He just presents Christ and lets Christ take care of the idols. Huge. He doesn't just go in there focused on idols and all that. Sometimes we just nit, nitpick on issues and things and miss the gospel. You know what? I think before some people are going to get some of these issues right, they need to know Jesus. It's often like we want people to get cleaned up before they take a bath, right? We want people to get all these issues straight before they come to Christ. No, that's never the way it works. You come to him broken and messed up and with a lot of wrong stuff going on here. But you know him and you begin to believe him and you trust him. And as you know him, you want to know his word. And as I know his word, I want to know how he designed things. And as I see that, I'm going to see how God designed the family to work. I'm going to see that God's laws and rules were meant to give me the best life possible and to protect me from trouble. 
and depression and despair and disease and destruction. I'm going to learn that. I'm going to say, you know what? And still, after all these years of of being a Christ follower, I'm constantly in this book and I'm reading and I'm going to find places where it says, you know what? Something that convicts me. And I'm going to say, you know, my behavior has not been matching this. My attitude and my thinking has not been matching this. I need to repent, change, and follow this. It's still happening. So I need to give them the same opportunity. In other words, the first thing isn't political things or even some of these issues that are very important issues, but it's not the main issue. The main issue is Christ and knowing him. You know that one of the persons who spent time in front of Congress talking about life and pro-life and speaking against ending human life in abortion was a lady who formerly was the head of Planned Parenthood of Florida and was a doctor and actually performed abortions. But I'm so thankful to hear her testimony where that as she came to Christ, people were patient with her and gave her time to come to know who Jesus is and come to, to, to be saved and then get into this book and realize that all human life is created in the image of God. All human life is sacred. Marriage and sex is sacred that produce life through God and, and begin to see things differently. In some of our churches, had she come in there, they would have hit her over the head with the, the, you know, with the Bible and to the point she would have never got to know Jesus. These, these issues are important. Don't hear me say, if you go out here saying that I said it wasn't, I'm telling you right now, not only are you wrong, but you're lying. <laughs> Very important, but it's not the first thing. The first thing Paul did wasn't start stomping on about the idols. Even when he goes to Athens, and that's all they knew, he found something they knew, idols, and he found one to the unknown God, an altar, and he kind of used that as a starting point to point to the real God. Amazing. We could learn so much. I mean, nowadays, we, we just nitpick so bad. He didn't start, we don't start about many of their habits or even their lifestyle. We need to present Jesus. And if they accept Jesus, he'll clean up the other stuff. We're interested in so many other things rather than Christ. We've got to get to those other things, but not until we come by the way of the cross. And it's a process because sometimes people have to unlearn things before they can learn things. You have to understand what, what's going on. And, and you see that happening today. I mean, I think, I think, you know, efforts to help people to draw attention to Jesus, to know that Jesus knows who you are and he cares about you right there where you are, is a good thing. Maybe they'll be drawn to check Jesus out more. It's not that we're saying that you're okay where you are. How would Paul have dealt with it? People, and you know, and since the Super Bowl commercial, so many Christians are jumping on this, arguing about, what's that commercial they had about he gets us a good one or not? And they're just arguing, arguing, arguing. Here's something that Paul, uh, you know, Paul was brought to his attention, he was writing to the Philippians about, there were some people out there that were talking about Jesus and preaching, but they were only do it to cause problems for Paul. You know what Paul said? He said, well, whether they got good motives or not, that's up to God to judge. But he said, I'm going to rejoice that the name of Jesus is being spread out there. 
Because I am amazed sometimes at some of the people that I don't agree with that God ends up using. It's amazing. So I can't judge all of that. I want to stand up for God's truth. Battery may have gone out. I'm going to switch to this. We don't want to water down God's truth at all. But I want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And then we'll deal with the other things as we come to the other things. That's what I see Paul doing here. They were persuaded. Not that Paul persuaded, but they were persuaded. Three groups respond. There were Jews, there were Gentiles or Greeks, and there were women. So Paul has his hands on a sizable congregation already. But guess what? Not everybody believed. Others persecuted them, verse 5. Did you see that? The Jews were jealous, taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason. Jason's obviously one of these new believers. He just, he's just brand new. But some of these Jewish leaders were jealous. Uh, they were jealous because they rejected Christ, but they didn't want any... Isn't that something? They rejected Christ, but they didn't want anybody else receiving him. Why not let people hear and decide for themselves? Huh? The same, the same strategy is still in play today. There are people who don't want anybody to hear about Jesus and decide for themselves. They took some evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, and started this big uproar. If you're reading the old King James, I always got a kick out of this. It says the Jews believe, who believe not moved with envy. See, they were jealous. They were envious. They took unto themselves a certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I thought, lewd fellows of the baser sort, what is that? Well, uh, it, it's, it's, it's talking about people who usually hung out at the marketplace, and we've still got those people around. They're just going to cause trouble. That's what they are. Rabble is how it's uh, translated here. They were rabble, and they were rabble rousers. You know what I'm saying? They're just causing trouble. So, they, you know, say, so these religious people, they knew who to go to to stir up the trouble. And they got these, these uh, people, wicked people, to start this whole thing. They dragged Jason out when they couldn't find Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And uh, look what they said. Look what they said. And, and, and I'm just going to kind of wrap this up now. Uh, look what they said. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Uh, the, they've turned the world upside down. I want you to think about that because this is what we're going to do. We're going to turn the upside down right side up. Because the point was, they said they're turning the world upside down, but the world was actually turned upside down at the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, the world was cursed, earth was cursed, our flesh was cursed. world has been and people have been upside down actually since then. It's never been right side up. But when Christ comes in, he turns us from upside down to right side up. But the world who's viewed things from their upside down position thinks those who are really right side up are upside down. What am I saying? Paul and the guys were really turning them right side up. This shows how blind the world is, how ignorant the world is. And when you get right with God and begin to live in it, they're going to wonder what's wrong. They're going to think you're upside down, but you're really right side up. They're upside down. And maybe you pray God open their eyes and see that they're upside down and let Jesus turn them right side up. But this is something we're going to do. We, we make an impact in the place we live. How is it there's so many Christians live here and in these families and there's no impact? As people come to Christ and lives begin to change, beliefs begin to change, habits begin to change. But notice what they did. They not only said this, they 
accused them. This is funny for Jewish people even that were some of the leaders of them to say that they're uh, acting against the decrees of Caesar. I didn't think they were fans of Caesar, but wow, when people have an enemy, they, they make friends with strange people, don't they? Watch out for that. Watch out when the only reason why two people are friends is because they have a common enemy or gripe. Uh, so they say there's another, these guys are saying there's another king, Jesus, and they, they're like trying to cause trouble. Well, they can't have trouble because Rome might come. So that Jason and those guys, it cost them. They had to put up a pledge. Uh, and and um, meanwhile, Paul and Silas and Timothy escape, and they get out of there. Um, Perhaps they had to make a promise that they wouldn't come back to Thessalonica. You know what? It's amazing how solid and strong we Christians can be when we're all in here. Yeah, that's right. As um, long as the air conditioner and the heat keeps working. As long as the pews are and the chairs are nice. As long as I don't keep talking too much longer. You know. What if it was suddenly life and death like it was for Paul and Silas and people are hunting you down? How bold then would you be in the faith? Well, good question. Uh, the Jews then uh, were maybe able to drive Paul out of Thessalonica. They could drive him out of town, but get this, they could not drive Jesus out of town. He was there to stay, and the church kept growing. Uh, just one more thing before we close. Um, I want to look at then what happened next, because they go to Berea, and there's a different situation teachable and responsive. They went to Berea, and they went to the synagogue. Now, these Jews who were there were more noble, it says in verse 11, than the ones in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, and so I'm sure he was, he was uh, reasoning and explaining and proving, and it said they were examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's what you need to do. Don't take anything just because I say it I just want to help bring out the Word, but you need to be in the Word and comparing Scripture to Scripture and seeing if it's so. You don't believe something just because somebody in a pulpit gets up and just says it. It's got to be coming from the Word. It's got to be interpreted properly and applied properly. Don't just follow one person. That's dangerous. There are a lot of cultic Christians out there. There are a lot of strange things happening. These were satisfying days for Paul and Silas and them. and People were coming to Christ. It says many of them believed, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. It seems like there were probably more women than men, the way that's worded. They're taking the leadership here. But guess what? When the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Satan stays on his mission too. That's something else we can learn. He's always going to do it. And so Paul and Silas, or Paul begins, and Paul leaves. Uh, they brought Paul as far as Athens, and he received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as, as, as they could. So Paul gets out of there. He goes to Athens and shares the gospel. They all catch up with him in Corinth later. But so them trying to get Paul out of town uh, seemed like, well, no, the devil didn't win. It just resulted in Paul spreading the gospel somewhere else. And the gospel was already there. And those, those Jews who believed, they began to spread the gospel. The ones who were coming to cause trouble, they're going to get trouble later on. Silas and Timothy stay. Paul goes on to Athens. So here we have it. Let's wrap it up. 
We have some good example here by Paul about spreading the gospel and starting this church. And we're going to be going back now to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and we're going to be helping them deal with issues and grow. Because some of these people that came to, to Christ out of idols, there's lifestyle things that they need to begin to deal with. There's bad habits that they need to, to begin to break. They need to understand what being holy is. That's what's going to happen, okay, as we get into the book. Hopefully it can happen in me and you. Let's apply this, though, about sharing the gospel. Determination is at the heart of any accomplishment. They were determined to keep sharing the gospel. We give up at one little thing. One little thing go wrong at church. One little thing go wrong. We quit. I'm glad Paul didn't quit. I'm glad those people didn't quit that got the gospel. I'm glad they kept spreading it across the known world. I'm glad that at some point my ancestors heard about it, and I'm glad that I heard about it. Secondly, rejection is to be expected when the truth is declared. You just need to realize that not everyone's going to believe, but you have to love them anyway. If everybody has to believe, then you're going to be disappointed. And you also need to realize appreciation is seldom. But this is all descriptions for a pastor too, isn't it? But it's for all of us. Appreciation is seldom expressed at the right time. You know, when you're changing the diapers, moms and dads, and getting up all hours of the night, amen, and, and not getting any sleep because of those, they don't ever say thank you. And when it gets to be teenagers, they, they may not say thank you. But maybe later on, they will be like, wow, thank you. So it doesn't always happen at the right time. What am I saying? Stick with it. And follow the example of Paul. Share Christ. He will change lives. I can't change anybody's life. I can't even fully change my own. All I can do is cooperate with Jesus and let him change it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again.